Hello, everyone. It is March 21st, 2023, and this is episode 23 of season two of the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers. everyone. I'm Misty. And I'm Joel. And this is the More Math for More People podcast brought to you by CPM Educational Program. On this podcast, we discuss the CPM curriculum, trends in math education, and share strategies to shift instructional practices to create a more inclusive and student-centered classroom. We also highlight upcoming CPM professional learning opportunities and have conversations with math educators about how they do what they do. And we always try to have a little bit of fun and laughter as well. Indeed we do. So come and find out what shenanigans we're up to on this episode. Boom. All right. Well, I happen to know that you have some level of excitement about this national day today, Joel. I do have some level of excitement for all the days. I, I was going to say that. Yes, that is true. And But a particular, I don't yeah. know, I just feel like they have a particular level of excitement about I this. I am one. pretty excited. Slytherin Pride Day. Woo! Slytherin Pride Day. Exactly. And okay. I think my excitement comes more because of my Harry Potter fandom, but it's because I don't really identify as Slytherin, mm-hmm. but I'm excited that there's this day. I just love identify as Slytherin. So I have I have many thoughts as I always do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, one I'm curious. So is there a, is there a Hufflepuff Pride Day and are there other Harry Potter House Pride Days or are there only Slytherin Pride Day? It could be. This is we the only no, one I've ever have, seen. We don't have an answer to this question. Okay. All right. Maybe they're not on Tuesdays. Okay, so that's I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, clearly yeah. we don't know a lot of national days because they're not on Tuesdays yet. That's right. We'll have We're to have there. the podcast. I think there. what 16 years before we'll have. I done think that's every the official cycle. Actually, I have no idea, but it sounded good. No, I think it's oh, like that's a real thing. Maybe it's only. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, how many years before the calendar repeats or something? I don't know if it's sixteen or if it's. Now I'm wondering if it's eight. Anyway, no. Okay. I think it is. I think it's fourteen. This is totally aside, but because you think about it, like January first could start on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yes. That's seven. And or it could be a leap year, so that's um, times two. So I think there's 14 official calendars. Okay. Anyway, so we might have to have the podcast for a really long time. This is only season two. <laughs> I hope we do. It'll be uh, much longer for us to get through all the national day ofs. And there'll probably be some repeats before we get to that. Yeah, yeah. To be clear. Because I think it doesn't just repeat every 14 years. It takes longer for it to actually get to all 14 of them. Oh, my gosh. Because you got to get all those leap years. Ugh, we're in for the long haul. We are. Okay. We are, we are, we are committed nothing to, to finish this out. Pride Day, but. And now I'm overwhelmed by how long we have to do this podcast to get all the national devs. No. Anyway, so Slytherin Pride Day. Yeah. Okay. So here's my other thing is that I know that people do this. They take these little tests or whatever to figure out. I'm sure there are online quizzes, right? To figure out what, what house you would be in. Have you ever done that? I have. Okay. And what did you get? Gryffindor. Gryffindor? Yeah. I was pretty happy no, about it too. Go. Oh. Okay. Is that because that's what you wanted, huh? That's what I wanted. So maybe that I swayed see. me in my questioning. I don't know. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I've never done I don't think I've ever done this. So maybe that's what I should do today. I think that'd be a good idea. I should take a Harry Potter house quiz. 
and see what it tells me. Interesting. And then you can let us all know. I could. I could. Do you have any predictions on what you think I'm going to be? No, I don't. Because I don't. I'm yeah, not, not willing to go out I'm on just, that limb. I'm just not in the mind of the sorting hat. Like, I don't understand quite mm-hmm. the logic of it. Because it's within mm-hmm. somebody's ability to sort yourself. But yet mm-hmm. the sorting hat sorts you. Kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Idea. Yeah, the sorting hat, what? Like, tapping into your kind of core personality. Yeah, or yeah, some other yeah. Thing. I just think it's also interesting, the whole concept that there's going to take a whole bunch of kids who have very similar personalities and put them all together. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but it is, seems to kind is of, that the rule? I wonder if that's not the rule. There's a balance there that says, I'm going to put... I, I don't think that they take kids who are really... I think the whole point is that they're putting kids who have this similar personality to them. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not going to... Do you think it's similar to how you would make your teams in your classroom at all? No, because oh, yeah. I would make those randomly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think it's the antithesis. Testing you. That. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the point. So what are the characteristics of a Slytherin person? Did they did they tell you that in your um, that, national day stuff there? Not so much the well, not so much the characteristics, just that they are often looked at as a little evil, maybe a little sinister, that sort of a thing. Not bad people, I guess, but yeah, sneaky, like critical thinkers, maybe. (laughs) Sure. I'm just wondering what a person who is a Slytherin, what they would have pride about. That's all. Mm -hmm. Just being proud to be part of a group. (laughs) Well, if you identify as Slytherin, then... Enjoy your day. Good on you and have a great day. And maybe someday the other ones will come up and we'll learn more about those houses too. That's right. And I'm guessing you're Ravenclaw. Oh, all right. Well, we'll have to find out. And maybe we'll put it in some secret place for people to find it. Love it. Have a great day. All right. Here we are. Oh, my gosh. Is this our third one or our fourth one? Joel, help me out. This is the fourth one. Three or four. All right. Three. No, no which one is it? Three or four. Oh, oh. four. <laughs> I think this is our fourth, fourth <laughs> one. Our fourth conversation about inspiring connections in our little series here. And today we're going to talk about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle with some of the language around this, but we're going to talk about language routines, math language routines, mm-hmm. and some other things related to multilingual learners. And we have three of our writing uh, curriculum and assessment staff here today with us. So we have Dan Henderson, and we have Tony Jones and Stephanie Castaneda, who are going to help us with this conversation around the, help me out, the language routines. What are we going to call this today? (laughs) There's been so much discussion. Sometimes I get lost in the weeds of it. And Joel and I are really our learners here today, right? Mm -hmm. We are the ones who want to know and find out what are these language routines and supports that we have for language learners and inspiring connections? So who's going to go first? It's going to be the big debate. Is the question, what are the language routines? Or is the question like, do we want to situate that in what's up with IC or how do you want to yeah. take that? No, that's, that is a good point. Mm-hmm. Let's start with just what are, the, what are the math language routines? I know that one of the things that Joel and I know is that there is an increased focus, let's say, on language routines 
and how those fit into the curriculum. So let's start with that and we can segue it into how we are supporting all language learners in in that case, we first saw them in this paper out of Stanford mm-hmm. by Jeff Spires. I'm probably screwing that name up and a bunch of other people. But there are some routines that support student sense making and optimize their output, cultivate conversations, and make the metacognition happen to maximize that language use. So there's eight of them that are listed in the paper that's stronger and clearer each time collect and display, critique, correct and clarify, information gap, co-craft questions and problems, three reads, compare and connect, and discussion sports. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of subcategories in there, but the, those are the big eight. Well, one of the, the real issues I think in IC we're very aware of is how we position learners, all learners. Mm-hmm to be successful. And one of those is to remove any barriers to the access that they have to the map. And if that barrier is language, then how do we remove that barrier and help language learners access the map? And how do we position them within the classroom for success? And so these math language routines help with that? Yes. Yeah, I I was going to say that we're all language learners. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think when we learn to utilize these math language routines and and we let go of the language barrier that English has to be the language that we prefer or that we push students to use primarily, then we open the doors for translanguaging. And really, then are these language routines most beneficial and useful because it amplifies all language, Mm -hmm. it assesses students' knowledge despite the type of named languages that they choose to use. So I thought it was important to throw that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I know as a teacher in the classroom too, students who were English language learners or multi-language learners were identified to me somehow, and then I would have to come up with something different. So I think it's interesting that you're adding it to the curriculum now with this research. One of the things we've been thinking about is like, framing that not as English language learners has a whole history of being framed poorly, but then we shifted, we started thinking uh, multilingual learners or emergent multilingual learners or something like that. I think recently we've come to the conclusion that named languages are sort of the the boxes that don't help us. Everyone is a Mm language-er. So we come equipped with this whole repertoire of languages, but like ways to say things and ways to communicate. And we're trying to let that happen the way it, it, it does naturally in our classroom. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it includes more than just the language routines. Right. I mean, a lot of our STTSs, our study team teaching strategies, they have embedded supports for translanguaging, mm-hmm. gestures. There's all kinds of other things that are part of this. And I think, again, for me, the light bulb went off when I read from Cheval that it's about how you position the students. Mm -hmm. So often, students who may not speak a language or may not be comfortable speaking that language may not communicate as much 
And then they're seen as not knowing or understanding the math when that's not the case at all. It's that they're having trouble communicating their understanding. So how do we, how do we encourage that? How do we support that? How do we draw that out? I think that's a huge piece of what we try to do. Yeah. Could you, could you talk a little about, about what translanguaging means? Translanguaging is just the idea of not really thinking of languages named languages, that there is an English language and there is a Spanish language, right? It's, it's not thinking about language as named languages, but thinking of language as a way to communicate. It's one of the ways we communicate, but it's not the only way we communicate. So the idea of translanguaging in a classroom is raising your awareness level of the different, the many ways that everybody in the room is communicating and welcoming and elevating the ways students communicate as to not shut them down if we're not using the dominant language of the community, right? So translanguaging is, I think, an awareness level of how everybody in your area is communicating, whether that be a classroom or a larger community. So I want to shift and talk a little bit more about the math language routines and some of the ways they're connected and embedded into the lessons, into the curriculum as supports for these things that you're talking about, helping with translanguaging and communication with students to be able to talk about their math and their understanding. So how do they show up in IC? Oh, okay. So they show up in a a lot of ways. We're aware of the routines, and so we've embedded them, thinking carefully again about when each routine is helpful and what it's helpful for. We were very clear that we didn't throw the routines in just to throw the routines in. We, we looked at a problem and said, how can this problem and this routine come together to help students? And so we were very specific and very intentional on how we did that. And that's a support that's offered that you don't have to, you don't have to go figure it out. You don't have to try to like, come up with something. Mm-hmm. You don't have to rely on some other aid or teacher or something else mm-hmm. that, that they're embedded right in there. And there are front matter explains them. And, and they really, they benefit all students. It's not just about students who don't speak the dominant language in that community. It's about all learners. It helps all learners. Mm-hmm. These routines are, there might be the names might be new to people, but a lot of the routines themselves are common in classrooms and good and should continue in classrooms, whether you call them a language routine or not, mm. right? Talk moves are a thing. We just lump them in as discussion supports. Convince yourself and a friend and a skeptic is a thing. It's a, that's just a version of stronger and clearer each time. So these are things that teachers have been doing. Mm-hmm. The, all we're doing is giving it a name and making sure we're including it. Also, I want to say that Inspiring Connections, because it's still true to CPM values, it remains a social curriculum. And these language routines thrive in a social curriculum. So I, I also want to highlight that even if these strategies might feel new to you, when you're using them within the Inspiring Connections curriculum, it's going to be a more natural feel because of the social nature mm-hmm. of each of the lessons. And it's true that social language developed before mathematical language. Mm-hmm. And so that, that social element really does help elevate students. 
so are these the kinds of things that I know a lot of times when I'm working with teachers and talking with teachers, the reading part of CPM curriculum, because it is a problem-based curriculum, can be heavy, right? There is a lot of reading. We have to decipher text. We have to understand the things. These language routines, are they going to both support the verbal communications and things that are happening with kids and also the reading and getting those pieces of the curriculum as well? There are a couple of routines that are specifically designed to make sense of written text, Mm -hmm. like three reads. It's about reading the thing. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. I would agree that the three reads is a routine that is going to help with reading. But also coupling that with a study team teaching strategy, such as teammates consult or think, pair, share, right? Having the opportunity, these things don't stand alone. They, mm-hmm. they don't work well because if you do this, everything's going to go great, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we would have been only implementing these things. Especially if you're struggling with language and trying to communicate. So a think, ink, pair, share, that think time is very critical for them a teammate's console or a dyad, a dyad where you can hear another student borrow some of that language that maybe you're struggling to try to find mm-hmm. so that you can communicate. So there's so many of those study team and teaching strategies that just lead right into that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, th- they're for all students, sentence frames. Mm-hmm. Sentence frames definitely help students to to be able to put their thoughts down in writing because they can, they have the sentence frame and just they fill in the gap. But it helps all students. Because even students who maybe they're fluent in the dominant language, they still, they're not sure how to say it or what to say. And so those sentence frames are right there. And, and they're suggested. So it's not required, but they're there. Like that support's already there. When you go to teach the lesson, there it is. You don't have to come up with it. I was going to try to make a connection to pacing and reading and all that that's important. But I also think that there's a little bit more of a balance that you can still access the curriculum if reading isn't your reading in English, I should say, isn't your forte because we know students can read in a variety of languages. So if reading in English is a stumbling point, we've got pacing that helps teachers to only uh, display what's needed. So it reduces some of that anxiety of feeling overwhelmed by all the reading that might potentially be there. But I also think we've done a pretty good job of recommending teachers use strategies such as only displaying an image if you can get away with it in a particular lesson, right? So it's not going to be as reading heavy as one might think just by looking at at the book. Yeah. And that goes back to something we've talked about before with the oral instructions piece of thinking classrooms. Like we take that pretty seriously. Mm Yeah, and I I think some of this also for me connects to the idea of we learn language by using language, right? We learn what words mean by using them in context and and we gain a sort of understanding of what a square is without necessarily writing the definition of a square, right? It's one of the things I always think about. You could walk up to lots of math teachers and they could tell you all kinds of things about Mm -hmm. a square. Probably couldn't give you the actual definition of a square off the top of their head right? The like key feature that's at a square. So that idea and that concept around these words, these math words that we use comes from lots of different usages and lots of different ways of interacting with them. And so what I'm seeing is these language routines can help 
get kids more access to all of those pieces that will help them make sense of the mathematics yeah. and ideas. Right. And, and as a teacher coming into the classroom with the framing of translanguaging, driving a, a lot of what I'm looking for, as, as you were talking about a square, people listening aren't going to see this, but I saw you draw with your pointer fingers a figure. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at you, I could see and understand what you were saying. And this is part of translanguaging, mm-hmm. right? When we communicate, we don't just use words. Mm-hmm. We draw things. We gesture. There are so many different ways we can get our knowledge across if we're open and, again, aware of the many ways we communicate. Yeah. I, I'm thinking right now of this, this ex- totally expands the idea of concept map and the closure and how you could do that mm-hmm. and use these routines in an activity like that. And, and we even talked about when you look at if you're going to use a word wall, mm-hmm. like what you do with that, because you can have you don't have to have English only definitions and you don't have to have only text word definitions. Mm-hmm. And so it it's opening up all the ways that we communicate and that's you can put it up for everybody to see. So as we start to wrap up this conversation, what are this is a time where I'm always like, what are the things we didn't ask? What are the yep. other things that you <laughs> want to say as we bring this to a close? I would say this, though. I think for people maybe who haven't had a lot of experience with translanguage and with multilingual learners, there's a trepidation or a fear. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure what mm-hmm. to do. I'm not sure how. Not only did we embed the routines, but we've explained and walked teachers through them within the materials. And between that and our professional learning, I think you're going to feel really comfortable mm-hmm. using them. It, you know, and I've seen other curriculums where you should do this. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. In this case, you will know how to do it. I always say this, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's not an accident when it happens. It's a very intentional piece, but, but you can do it. And we've given those supports in many ways. To, to make it happen. Steph, did you have any last thoughts? I think one thing I do want to share is that when these supports are embedded, it's important to note that we aren't saying co-craft questions for multilingual learners. We're saying co-craft questions to support translanguaging because, again, we want language to not be seen as a disability because it's not. With It's been used historically as a barrier to education, and, and we were very intentional that through our writing, we wanted to bring down those barriers so students truly do have access, and language is not a barrier. I was going to say, I, we were going to say something about the way the, the language routines, one of the reasons the language routines are so powerful mm-hmm. is that They work not just in a classroom where one student speaks Spanish and everybody else speaks English, or most of the students speak Spanish and a few people speak English too, but they work in multilingual settings where when I was a teacher in Boston, I had classes where there were like eight or nine languages, named languages, Mm -hmm. and probably a few that weren't named just floating around. And so if you want to tool from students who are all speaking different named languages at home, then these routines help you draw that out and help them communicate with each other. 
and that grows the mathematical community. It's a very good point because it really puts in perspective the multicultural aspect in your classroom where all cultures, all language, all discussion, all communication is valued. And so like in Boston, when you had eight, eight plus named languages in your classroom, if you have these routines and you really start to embrace translanguaging, you're embracing all those cultures and all the things that these students bring into the classroom from outside the classroom that we don't often have in classrooms. Mm-hmm. Is, it worth, is it worth noting that teachers don't have to be, uh, don't have to be comfortable in all the named languages in their classroom to be successful? I think that's very I think it circles back to the fear and trepidation piece that Mm -hmm. was mentioned earlier. A big part of what we're talking about here is that historically, we've asked teachers to do something different, to do something Mm -hmm. to incorporate, include, transition, whatever it is. And that I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing one, reframing how we think about the challenge and also incorporating structures and routines that allow teachers to do that without having to seek something extra. And I think that both of those things are fabulous. I think that is such a great piece to incorporate and include in the Inspiring Connections curriculum. I'm going to say thank you to the three of you for spending this time having this conversation. And we're going to have one more conversation in a couple of weeks, wrap up some of the logistics and some of the other pieces that are mm-hmm. new, the digital platform we'll talk about and some other things in Inspiring Connections. If you want to learn more about Inspiring Connections, reach out to your regional professional learning coordinator. And you Absolutely. Can get more Thanks, everybody. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this episode of the More Math for More People podcast. For more information and to stay connected, you can find CPM on both Twitter and Facebook. The music for the podcast was created by Julius H. and can be found on pixabay.com. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel? It'll be April 4th, National School Librarian Day. And I remember back in high school, we loved our school librarian quite a bit. And there used to be this Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I remember we made another portrait with our librarian in Obi-Wan's place. And we stayed after school one night. It was a big extravaganza. And we scaled the walls. We took down the Obi-Wan and we put the librarian's portrait in its place. And I remember we made the, the school paper. The administration probably wasn't that happy with us, but we for showing our love for the school librarian because school librarians really do a lot for schools and so it'll be fun to recognize them and, and celebrate them.